Greetings and salutations, old-time radio fans. This is Wednesday, and it is July the 28th, 2021. It is 2021, right, Chester? Yep. July the 28th, 2021. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the best old-time radio podcast. And on Wednesdays, we play a mystery or some people call it a an old-time radio detective story. Or some call it old-time radio crime classics. Whatever, whatever you call it, that is what we have for you on Wednesday. And we've got a really good one, a classic one today. And I'm going to tell you all about that in just a moment. But we're so happy to have you along. We hope that you're surviving the heat Ah, it is uh, going to be hot. Not quite. No, yes, today it's going to be very hot. It's going to be like 95 with the heat indices, like 104 or something like that. And tomorrow, even worse. The heat index is going to go up to like almost 110 tomorrow, Chester. So keep the air conditioning cranked. I know everyone's looking forward to getting their electric bill this month. Anyway... Why don't you get over there in that big comfortable chair, get your feet up and relax and get rid of the cares of the day. Maybe get yourself a little refreshment and just unwind because we are going to come right back at you with this week's classic old time radio mystery. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and this one was first broadcast on July the 7th back in 1951. It's entitled A Seaside Sabbatical, and this one's kind of special to me because the seaside that Marlowe visits in this episode is Long Beach, which is my hometown, as many of you know who've listened to this show for any amount of time. Philip uh, visits a number of familiar places to me in Long Beach and also brings back some memories about places that were there back in 1951 that aren't there anymore. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the show. But one thing I think you might notice during the show and you might question is when Phil goes to have his car parked by this young man who's the parking attendant, the young man mentions something about all the people from Iowa and Long Beach. In fact, Long Beach got to be called Iowa by the sea. Why was that? Well, for some reason, in the late 30s and particularly in the 40s and the early 50s, thousands, literally thousands of people moved from Iowa to Long Beach. No one knows exactly why other than they probably got tired of the winters in Iowa. I've been in Iowa in the winter and I know it can be pretty severe. And they apparently wanted to kick their heels in the Long Beach surf and enjoy the sunshine and the sand. 
At any rate, many, many thousands of them moved, so much so that every year they would have an Iowa picnic. And the picnic often had the governors of both California and Iowa represented at the picnic to give speeches. And it was a chance for people who had migrated from Iowa to Long Beach to hear stories about their beloved homeland. You might think this was uh, maybe not as big a deal as I'm making of it. Well, let me tell you, in the 50s, those picnics oftentimes had over 100,000 people at them. In fact, I heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard that Long Beach had more Iowans than any other city in the country, with the exception of Des Moines. Go figure. So here we go. From July the 7th, 1951, a seaside sabbatical on the adventures of Philip Marlowe with Gerald Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. <laughs> Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, A Seaside Sabbatical. Wire in my hand said it all. Need your help, urgent. Meet me at 8.30 tonight, Ship's Galley Cafe, Long Beach. Signed, Dale Higgins. The time and the place were known factors, the need for help, the urgency, and most of all, Dale Higgins were unknown. And my hazy recollection of algebra told me that three unknowns are mathematically impossible to find. Call it a challenge, call it money, call it a chance for a short dinner, call it anything you like. But 815 found me pulling into a parking lot on Ocean Boulevard, not far from the amusement pier. Just leave it there, I'll be right with you. Oh, hello, Mr. Marlowe. Hiya, Red. How's it going? Oh, great, thanks. What brings you to the capital of Iowa? Corn. <laughs> my aim's getting bad, Red. I thought I'd come down to the pike and try for my limited a shooting gallery. Gee, really? Yeah. Greatest practice in the world. Is it still 35 cents and no questions asked? Huh? Oh, to park the car. Yeah, that's it. Okay, kid. Keep it. Oh, thanks. Hey, I, I mind if I recommend the quick quack? How's that again? Used to be the dead duck. Best shooting gallery on the pike for my dough. Oh, that quick quack. Oh, sure. Anybody be a fool to go anywhere else, Yeah, huh? my sentiments exactly. See you, Red. You bet, Mr. Marlowe. Red's a nice kid. His name was a natural. He was blonde. I bobbed along Ocean Boulevard in a direction that instinct and a blaring blue neon sign indicated would lead me on course to the ship's galley. The night was muggy and close. You wore it like an extra coat. The ocean breeze I'd anticipated had retired in favor of alternate waves of fog that rolled in, engulfed you for a moment, and then suddenly rolled out again. I was very nearly on time for my 8.30 appointment with Dale Higgins as I turned blue beneath the ship's galley neon and stepped inside to be greeted by tight little groups of faces that opened and closed to admit food, drink, and talk, all indigo. The door behind me closed on two thoughts, 
My dreams of a shore dinner were blasted, and the ship's galley emerged as the last place in the world for anyone in need of urgent help to discuss his problems. But then, I didn't know Dale Higgins. Are you Philip Marlowe, by any chance? That's right. Yeah, it looked like you were looking for someone. I'm Higgins. Oh, oh, how are you, Higgins? Do we talk here? Uh, probably not very well. No. Uh, walk along the beach? Oh, fine, fine. Oh. Say, Higgins, did you ever wonder why people pack into hot little rooms on a night like this? Oh, you mean the ship's galley? Yeah. Well... Philosophy is not my business, Marlowe. What is? Well, I don't quite know how to tell you, I guess. Well, your wire said urgent. That's good enough for openers. Yes, well, the truth is I was a little quick sending that wire. Oh? I was pretty upset about a situation at the time, but things have resolved themselves now, and I won't require any help. Uh-huh. Well, you ought to know. I expect to pay you, of course, the trip down and your customary fee. That'll be 25 a day in expenses. Seven cents a mile for 23 miles, and, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. 35 cents for parking my car. Yeah, uh, seven times 23, $1.60, $61, uh, $35. $1.96. $26.96 altogether. Uh, is uh, cash all right, I suppose? <laughs> Always has been. Uh, Marlowe, I am sorry about this. I didn't set out to bring you on a wild goose chase. But yes, looks like I've got the right amount. Thanks. Don't worry about it, Higgins. Anybody can change his mind. Yes, I, I guess that's right. Well, uh... Thanks for your trouble. Not at all. Eh, well. Mm-hmm. Mr. Marlowe! Hmm? Mr. Marlowe, wait! I turned in the direction of her voice, but the fog has a cute way of diffusing sound as well as sight. And I realized I wasn't closing in on anything, that the fog was circling me and I was circling it. So I stopped and waited. I listened and heard nothing but the sound of the sea and the faint wheezing of the pike calliope. Then suddenly it hit me. Somewhere along the fog-swept beach, a girl had called my name. And nobody knew I was in Long Beach except Red at the parking lot. And Dale Higgins. Yeah, the choice was obvious. Did she find you okay, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, yeah, Red, she did. You tell her where I was? Oh, I sure. I told her you and me always did our shooting at the Quick Quack. Good boy. Now tell me who she is. Who she is? Yeah. You mean you, you don't know her, Mr. Marlowe? That's the general idea, Red. Well, well, I, I, I guess she's my age. Yes, I know. Who is she? She's... Yeah. She's... You, you want your car, Mr. Marlowe? <laughs> no, Red, not now. I think I left something back at the Quick Quack. Everything that was young and pretty along the pike was hanging onto a sailor's arm. Around Jean Arno's quick quack, the nearest thing to youth and beauty with a neatly lined 22s poised across the counter. Try your luck, mister. No, no, thanks. Just looking, I'm not buying. Yeah, see, I just lost my girl. Well, don't blow your brains out here. These guns is for shooting ducks. I see what you mean. We said we'd meet here if we got separated. Have you seen her by any chance? She's seven, eight feet tall, glandular case. She's three stalls down, build with toothpick. Thanks so much. Still just looking, not buying. Still just look... Try it from a distance. It looks even better. Go on, bud. Beat it. I spotted her. At least I'd spotted a frightened fawn of a thing who caught my eye as if we were the only two on the pike. And there was something about her that made me wish we were. I followed her away from the crowded amusement section up the ramp toward Ocean Boulevard. Suddenly, she broke into a run, darted into an alleyway. I wasn't far behind her. 
No one saw you, did they? Follow me. Like who? He might have. And there may be others. I don't know. I don't know. That makes two of us. Now, wait a minute. Let's talk, huh? I saw you meet him. I thought it was you at the parking lot. I saw you meet him, the ship's galley. Something like you lost in a mob. I'll kill you, you know. If you're with them, I'll kill you. I've got to before someone kills me. I don't know. I don't know about you. Now listen, you. baby, baby, I'm with you. Don't come in here. All right, all right. I can't be seen with you. I can't walk out of here with you. He's around somewhere. I know he is. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you will help me. You'll have to. There isn't anyone else. Of course I will. Of course I will. Well, then look. As soon as you can, get your car. Don't let Val see you now. Val? You know Val. Listen, in your car, meet me at 7th and Anaheim. I'll get there. I'll have to. And then we can talk. Yeah, but wait a minute. 7th Hold and it. Anaheim, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, I, I, I'm Dale Higgins. It was a study in contrast all the way. The din and kaleidoscope of Rainbow Pier against the lonely sound of a foghorn. The gray feel of fog in the dank gray-black of the warehouse district at 7th and Anaheim. An urgent wire signed Dale Higgins. <laughs> Dale Higgins. And a guy who called himself Higgins. Husband? Lover? What? Well, here we go again, Marlowe. I parked the car and waited. The fog hugged the streetlight, but the sign was intermittently visible. I had the right place. I don't know how long it was before I heard the footsteps, but it was long enough for me to stretch my legs out along the car seat, lean my head back against the door, and feel the damp touch of fog sweep against my face from an open window. I remember starting to turn my head toward the direction of the steps and thinking that Dale had made it in good time. Oh! Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, A Seaside Sabbatical. I could almost hear the chain pulleys planking the first time I opened my eyes. And it took another game try before the fuzz faded away and the room slowed down to a Lambeth walk. Off somewhere, the faint sound of breakers... Well, I did the ceiling, the walls, and one corner of an expensively furnished room before I sent it on the fuzzy, indeterminate face at my bedside. A kind face, motherly and pleasant. It talked. I'm Mrs. Higgins. Oh, oh no. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, is everybody in Long Beach named Higgins? You don't really feel a bit well, do you? No, no, not really. Oh, we're awfully sorry, Mr. Marlowe. I know when Dale realizes what she's done, she'll be sorry, too. Yeah, I spoke. Dale bean me? What, with a peer? She's often violent, I'm afraid. Such a high-strung girl. Gives way so easily, you know. Yeah. Imagines all sorts of things and then, well, just gives way. Yeah, yeah. But I won't worry you with that. Dale's my problem. Uh -huh. I, I won't worry you with anything, Mr. Marlowe. Just you get a nice rest. I'm a cinch. We'll pay whatever damages there are, of course. But I won't hear of you leaving now until you're much better. Oh. oh. Hey. Oh. oh. The mother of the Higgins clan had locked the door and walked away. My head felt big and woozy and rammed down into my neck. I was not in the pink. 
Mother Higgins had ordered a nice rest, and it looked like I'd need it. But I don't like strange rooms and locked doors and high-strung girls who give way. I'm still trying to get out of bed when another door clicked slowly open on the other side of the room. My little frightened fawn was back, and my head hurt. I heard Marie with you. That's how I knew you were here. Oh, poor Mr. Marlowe. Did they hurt you? They sure did. It wouldn't do, you know, if they found me talking to you. I I feel better now that you're here. I wish I did. What happened to you, do you know? I have a rough idea. Say, honey, how much do you weigh? 105 when I left the convent, but that, that's not important. Listen, I, I can't stay long. You know, a romance with you would be rough. Please, Mr. Marlowe. They're going to kill me. Val and Marie, I... All right, all right. Now settle down. They are, and I don't know why. Maybe if I knew why, I'd understand. Yeah, but listen, I... I didn't even know Val then. Val? Val Nichols, a friend of Marie's. She sent him to the boat to meet me, and ever since then, I just know they are going to kill me. Dale, listen to me. Uh... I don't know Val. As a matter of fact, until you told me, I thought his name was Higgins, and I don't know Marie. What makes you think they're going to kill you? You met Val last night. The ship's galley. You talked to him. And Marie was just here. Oh, don't, don't try to confuse me. You're all I have. All right, honey, but tell me, isn't Marie your mother? My stepmother. Daddy's dead. And when I got off the Orange Coast the other night, whenever it was, there, there was Val. The Orange Coast? That's how I came back. Um, Mr. Muller, you, you're not trying to understand. If you won't help me, then... Don't let me... I hope that you're not bothering Mr. Marlowe, Dale. No. No, I'm not. He asked me to come in. He, he likes me. Of course he does, dear. We all do. No. Feeling better, Mr. Marlowe? The worst way. Oh, I'm sorry. Come, Dale. Let's let Mr. Marlowe rest. Oh, you could use a little rest yourself, my dear. No. He wants me to stay. I'm not bothering... Oh, you're not bothering at all, honey, but... Maybe it would be better if you come back a little later. Yes, huh? yes, of course it would, dear. Now, come along now. I can come back, though, Mr. Marlowe. You promise? Sure. Well, if you promise, I-, I know you'll keep it. Never mind, Val. I came in alone, you know. I can find my way out. She's sweet. She's sick. A very sick young lady, Marlowe. Troubled... Confused. She's got nothing on me. <laughs> now, look, what is this all about? I don't know what day it is, what I'm doing here, who you are, anything. Well, it, it should all have ended with our meeting at the ship's galley last evening, Marlowe. You're not clearing anything up for me, you know. You've seen her, talked to her. You must realize that she imagines things. Right now, she imagines that she's been away from here a long time, that she came back a few days ago upon a ship, that her mother and I want kill her. She did send me the wire. Oh, yes, yes. We had no idea one of her spells was coming on. We left her for a short time yesterday. The switchboard has its instructions, of course, and they reported it to Mrs. Higgins on your return. So we, we thought it best if I met you and... Uh, Called well, me up. Uh, it's, it's not in your line, Marlowe. You're right. I'm going to keep it that way, too. And Mrs. Higgins realizes that she's going to have to do something about Dale. Institution, perhaps. Some long-range treatment, at any rate. Dale was in no condition to be running around last night playing mysteries and taking up your time. Whoever hit me in the head last night was in pretty good condition. If I had gotten there two minutes sooner, I could have spared you all that. You were following her? No, no, no. I was coming back from my boat. I had gone down to the harbor after I left you. Oh. It's on the way back, I just happened to see Dale, and knowing the state she was in, I followed her, of course. I see. She doesn't know she hit me, does she? 
I don't believe that she has the slightest idea what happened. Things started swimming again. Val Nichols became part of the draperies. I was trying to think, but it hurt. Everything hurt. The next time I tried, I was more successful. The sunlight was streaming in the room. The clock on the night table, visible for the first time, said it was almost noon. So I got up. It was still pretty fuzzy on the edges, but I found my clothes hung neatly in the closet. Managed to get them on in the right order and made it to the door that had been locked before, but it wasn't this time. Mr. Marlowe. You shouldn't be up. Well, I'm always flying in the face of great odds, Mrs. Higgins. Bill's character. Well, even <laughs> so, you should stay in bed a while. Oh, really, I'm fine, thanks. But you're not leaving. I won't think of it. You'll lunch with us at least. No, no, really. I've got to go, but I'd like to see Dale first. I sort of promised her I would. Oh, my. She's sleeping, Mr. Marlowe. Oh? We gave her a sedative. Doctor's orders, of course. She's had such a trying time, you oh, know. Oh, I wouldn't want I... to disturb her, no. But maybe I can call later, Oh, huh? that would be so thoughtful of you. I know she'll be disappointed at not seeing you, but I... Oh, Val, I... Uh... Up and about so soon, Marlowe? Yes, uh, Well, I... she's sleeping, isn't she, Val? Hmm? The sedative and all, I mean, I was just telling Mr. Oh, Marlowe... Oh, yes, 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 she's resting very well, Marie. Now, don't, don't fret about her. Well, I'll take you to your car, Marlowe. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Well, Mrs. Higgins, it's been... Oh, uh... it's been downright dreadful, and I know it, Mr. Marlowe. If I can do anything to right this terrible wrong, please let me know. Well, if I can think of anything, I'll let you know. <laughs> Goodbye, Mrs. Higgins. Tell Dale goodbye for me, will you? Oh, yes. Yes, of course I will. Well, it uh, looks like another lovely day, doesn't it? I followed Val Nichols' lead to an elevator and for the first time discovered that I was in an apartment hotel on a different stretch of Ocean Boulevard than the one I'd grown to loathe the night before. Val filled in a few last details as he walked me to my car in the underground garage. Seems he'd driven Dale and me to the apartment from 7th and Anaheim in my car and sent a lackey back for his. It fit. We shook hands, and that hurt my head, too. I drove off. Somewhere in the harbor district, the need for coffee and a few lungful of ocean air forced my hand. I parked the car and found both in a ship-shaped spot with a clear view of the docks. The first cup cleared my head, and the second one down near cleared the counter. Hey, watch it. I am. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. It'll wipe up. How about you, getting the onion? No, no, I don't think so. You, uh, you know anything about ship schedules? Like what? Like that first one out there at anchor. The Orange Coast? Yeah. Well, seems to me she landed three or four nights ago. Don't know how long she'll be tied up. She's a fruit boat, though. Their office is just a block from here. Oh? More than likely, their book's solid, but if you want to check... Uh, yes, Mr. Marlowe, there was a passenger Higgins on the Orange Coast when it docked Tuesday. Uh, Miss Higgins, it was. Miss Dale Higgins, according to our records. Any record of where she boarded the boat? Let's see now. Oh, yes, at Macapa. Macapa? Brazil. Macapa, Brazil. Was she traveling alone by any chance? I really don't know. There's nothing here to Any indicate. other Higginses aboard? No. Hmm. How about a passenger named Nichols? Any chance of that? No, no Nichols either. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. 
It was my turn to send a wire, only it was a cable this time. And it was going to be a while between answers, so I checked into a nice, clean, inconspicuous hotel. Had some food and a half bottle of aspirin and placed two phone calls. Dale Higgins was still resting comfortably, according to her stepmother. But Muff Benjamin was still willing to do anything for a buck. He was there in no time. I heard you were here, Ma. Something big. Could be. You tell me you're the guy who hears things. About you being here? Mm -hmm. Well, you know how it goes. People see people, people tell people. That's nothing. Yeah, I know. Happens all the time. Now, look, Muff, I gotta know things quick. Well, I, uh... For money. Who and what? All right. I get this. The name is Higgins. Mm -hmm. Man old enough to have an 18-year-old daughter. I don't know his first name. He's dead, I think. But the daughter's name is Dale. You got that? Uh -huh. And the wife that's surviving is called Marie. Uh -huh. They have an apartment on Ocean Boulevard, the shore, I think it is. I got it. Okay. Now, a guy named Val Nichols, check on him, too. And if Higgins is dead, find out about a will. I'm ahead of you. Good. Get back as soon as you can, huh? You double the dough, I'll double the speed. You double. <laughs> Hello. Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. Speaking. I have a reply to your cable to Macapa, Brazil. Oh, good. Give it to me slow, huh? Dale Higgins accompanied to boat by nun. Nun? Order of the Holy Cross has convent near here. Suggest you check there. Signed Emerson Ward, Macapa Fruit Exporting Company. Did you say Order of the Holy Cross? That's right. Do you wish to send a reply? No. No, not yet, anyway. Thanks. <laughs> You see, Father, if you could help me contact the convent in Brazil, I could find out how long Dale was a student there. That might shed some light on the situation, huh? I see. I'm not schooled in your ways, Mr. Marlowe. Still, we're both seekers after truth, aren't we? In this case, a very specific truth. That's right, Father. I want to help, of course. Your cable said this was a Sisters of the Holy Cross convent? Yes. If there were any way we could call down there. You see, Father, time's pretty important. Mm. If it's possible, we shall call, my son. Meanwhile, our prayers are with Miss Higgins. Come, Mr. Marlowe. My prayers were with the phone company, too. And with Muff. And, of course, Dale. Because if her version of things were true, she was in real trouble. Until I knew what it was for... There was very little I could do for her. Was the information from the sisters helpful, Mr. Marlowe? Well, they were very cooperative, Father. Dale's been a student there for almost seven years, winter and summer. Mm. Her stepmother visited her every day, but Dale never left the convent until two weeks ago. Maybe it all fits, huh? I'll bless her, my son. Thank you, Father. And thank the sisters of the Holy Cross. Muff Benjamin was waiting at my hotel when I got back. <laughs> it was another study in contrasts. So far, I dealt with a priest, an informer, and a sister superior. And together, we were all coming close to an answer. His name was Dale Higgins, too, the doll's father. Died seven years ago, loaded. Yeah? Left his second wife, Maria, good income. But the big load went to the kid. All right, what'd you get on Val Nichols? Oh, he's a bad one. Yeah? Specialty is knocking down rich widows. Currently fraternizing with this Marie Higgins thing. Bless you, Muff. 
Huh? I mean, here's your dough. You do look so much better than when you left, Mr. Marlowe. Really? Is Dale still sleeping? Why, yes. I think I'll look in on her, huh? No, I I mean, I'd rather you didn't. Where is she, Mrs. Higgins? Mr. Marlowe, you have no... I wonder if she liked it at the convent. What? Seven years is a long time to be away from home. A lot of things can happen in seven years, you know, Mrs. Higgins. You can even end up legally dead. Why, I... I'm sure I don't have any idea. Dale's dad must have thought a lot of her. I'll bet she was pretty close to him, too. She, she was. They, Mr. Marlowe, what are you... Do you tell me, Mrs. Higgins. There's nothing to tell. Dale I... seems to think there is. Which room is hers? She... She isn't here. I... Oh, Mr. Marlowe, don't ask any more. Oh, she's with Val, huh? On his boat. Oh, how did this ever happen? I didn't want it this way. I thought if she could have been declared legally dead, oh, I'd have taken care of her. I, I, I mean, kept her there in the convent. No one knew she was there but Val. Val had to have her really dead. Is that expensive, Mrs. Higgins? Oh, help her, Mr. Marlowe. He'll do it this time. He'll kill her, I know. Believe me, I don't want how that. How long have they been gone? Not long. Half an hour, maybe, but no longer. I'll go with you. <laughs> Marie really cracked on the way to the harbor. It was going to be a fishing accident in the channel. And Val would get away with it, too, unless we found something that could outpower his 30-footer. It was called the Queen Marie, one guess who had given it to him. I found the boat I needed, all right, but the skipper seemed reluctant to go for it. Wildest thing I ever heard of. I tell you, it's a matter of life and death. The Coast Guard can't go on every... Look, every... look, a month ago we needed you off Balboa when our motor conked out and you came. But we've received no distress call from the Queen Marie. What do you think this is I'm giving you? Oh, please, don't waste time talking. All right, come on, how about it? Okay, but if this isn't on the level, you're in some trouble, Marlowe. By the time we'd cleared the harbor, I knew Val didn't have a chance. Every boat in the area had been alerted. I didn't know about Dale, though. I just hoped the sedative Val had given her was merciful. The Coast Guard took care of Val once we came alongside the Queen Marie. And I took care of Dale. She was in the galley, tied securely. Still dopey, but she came around after a while. Oh... Mr. Marlowe, you... Take it easy, baby. You're okay. You... I was afraid you'd forgotten your promise. No. But you didn't, did you? It was night now. And the lights that stretched out along the shore looked friendly and warm. <laughs> friendly and warm. I wonder when people are going to realize that the only happiness there is in the world is what they can give each other. Happiness, that is. Not a stab in the back. But you know, there's one thing about me. Yeah, I have to admit it. I'm an optimistic fella. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Kathleen Height. Featured in the cast were Gene Bates, John Daner, Irene Tedrow, and Lee Millar, with Harry Bartell, Barney Phillips, Lou Krugman, Donna Hainer, and Stan Waxman. Gerald Moore may soon be seen in the Santana production, Sirocco. 
The special music is composed by Pierre Garagank and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time when Philip Marlowe says... This time an old lady got taken for a new kind of ride by a new kind of chauffeur. And I got involved up to a gun in my ribs. All because I decided to spend a quiet day at home. Don't miss Broadway's My Beat, featuring Detective Danny Clovers, the cop who knows every character, every star, every crook frequenting the Great White Way. It's tomorrow night at the Star's Address. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS here, Horace Hyde, every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From July 7th, 1951, that was a seaside sabbatical on the adventures of Philip Marlowe with Gerald Moore, who was so very, very good in that role. I have decided that I am going to read those Raymond Chandler novels. I know that uh, Michael Connolly, uh, who I had the good pleasure of meeting and spending an evening with one time. He's the one that writes the Harry Bosch books and uh, the Lincoln Lawyer books. He said that one of his biggest influences was Raymond Chandler. I, I thought to myself, I enjoy his books so much, I should probably, I've heard so much about Raymond Chandler's books over the years, I've never read them. So I went to the library today and picked up a volume that has, uh, I think, four of the six novels that he wrote while he was alive. That was, uh, again, a visit to Long Beach, my hometown, and just a couple of things in there that he talked about the Pike. Now, the Pike was a large amusement park that sat right down on the ocean, and it had major rides, kind of like Coney Island. It had a huge roller coaster that actually went right out in the ocean, and it was called the Cyclone Racer. It had a huge double Ferris wheel. It had uh, just a lot of unique things. It also had a um, huge indoor swimming pool, which was one of the largest in the world at that time. And originally, I think it was called the bathhouse. But when I was a child, it was called the, the plunge. And my grandfather used to like to take uh, my sister and I and our friends uh, down to the plunge every, well, maybe every month or every other month. And uh, we would swim all day, and then afterwards we would come out, and you'd be right on the pike, which was like a midway. And there was a lot of these typical midway-type hot dog stands there. And one of the most famous was Marfleet's, and it was right, right there across from the plunge. And he would buy us all a hot dog and a, and a soda. And those were the big foot-long hot dogs that they used to, used to sell down on the pike. They also mentioned Rainbow Pier. Now, you might have wondered what that was. Well, this was a large circular pier that uh, started on Ocean Boulevard at one end, and then it went out into the ocean and curved back and came back to Ocean Boulevard. It was a pier you could actually drive on. And along the pier, they had uh, just the regular streetlights, but they all had different colored shades on them. So it gave the appearance of a rainbow. And within the pier, the water that was on the inside of the pier was uh, very calm, and you could rent motorboats. 
and I remember my dad and my grandfather taking me down and uh, putting me on one of these motorboats and sitting with me. And, the, you know, as a little kid, you got to steer it yourself. It probably only went two miles an hour. But I remember getting a captain's hat uh, for being the captain. And I think I actually got a certificate saying I was a captain. It was a very famous, very famous location in Long Beach. It's long gone now. In fact, I just went on to Google Maps the other day, Google Earth, and looked at some of the areas down around Ocean Boulevard, and oh my goodness, it is pretty fancy these days, a lot fancier than it was when I was a kid. Now there's a big Weston Hotel and a big Hilton Hotel and uh, luxury apartment and condos all up and down the beach. But anyway, it was fun to hear and uh, be reminded of uh, the place where I grew up. And that was the Seaside Resort of Long Beach, California. Well, that is going to kick things in the head for Wednesday, July the 28th, 2021. Hope you enjoyed our selection. We'll be back tomorrow with an old-time radio western. And we look forward to having you with us. Going out tonight, we're going to listen to a couple of songs from 1951. And both of these songs were top sellers in 1951 by the artists you're going to hear. But they were also top sellers by other artists. For instance, the first song we're going to play, big hit in 1951 by Jane Terzi. But it was also a big hit by Dinah Shore. And the next one was a big hit by Patti Page, but it was also a big hit by Les Paul and Mary Ford. So just to be clear, you're going to hear the song by Jane Terzi, the first one, and the second one by Patti Page. And they were both from 1951, the year that Philip Marlowe played, the episode that we just heard. Follow that? All right, Chester and I are out of here. In fact, Chester's already halfway to the door. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. Chickens and eggs Told her 
But she had such beautiful manners that suited the girl of her charms. A girl that he wanted to take in his washing and ironing. And then if she did, they could get married and raise lots of sweet violets. Sweeter than the roses, covered all over from head to toe. The girl told the farmer that he'd better stop And she called her father and he called a taxi And got there before very long Cause someone was doing his little girl right for a change And so that's why he said If you marry her son you're better off single Cause it's always been my belief Marriage will bring a man nothing but sweet violets Sweeter than the roses Covered all over from head to toe Covered all over with sweet violets The farmer decided he'd wed anyway And started in planning for his wedding suit Which he purchased for only one buck But then he found out he was just out of money And so he got left in the lurch Standing and waiting in front of the end of this story Which just goes to show All a girl wants from a man is his sweet violets Sweeter than the roses Covered all over from head to toe Covered all over with sweet violets Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, it gives me a thrill To wake up in the morning to the mockingbird's trill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, there's peace and goodwill You're welcome as the flowers on Mockingbird Hill When the sun in the morning peeps over the hill and kisses the roses round my windowsill Then my heart fills with gladness When I hear the trill Of the birds in the treetops On Mockingbird Hill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee It gives me a thrill To wake up in the morning To the mockingbird's trill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, there's peace and goodwill. You're welcome as the flowers on Mockingbird Hill. Late in the evening I climb up the hill And survey all my kingdom While everything's still Only me and the sky And an old whip 
whippoorwill Singing songs in the twilight on Mockingbird Hill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, it gives me a thrill To wake up in the morning to the mockingbird's trill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, there's peace and goodwill You're welcome as the flowers on Mockingbird Hill Tra-la-la, twiddly-dee-dee, there's peace and goodwill You're welcome as the flowers on Mockingbird Hill 